Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, guest speaker Milan Turner continues the series entitled On the Rocks. In this message, Milan explains the concept of unconditional love and how that is lived out in a biblical marriage. He explains that it is not a feeling, but instead a choice. Good morning. I guess I'll do like all the rest of the folks that, that get up here uh, that aren't Brandon, and I'll tell you, I'm not Brandon. And uh, no, uh, Coach, you almost got your wish. I forgot about Chris's song. I came up here to get ready, and Chris was standing there, and he looked at me. I think he thought we were going to sing that song to each other. Now, that would have been good. <laughs> that would have been fun, wouldn't it? Huh? And you'd have, got, you'd have got a real kick out of that. And the whole coaching profession would have heard about it by this afternoon, and that would have been it for me. Uh, no, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Milan Turner. I'm the head football coach at Emanuel County Institute. And uh, definitely not a preacher, but uh, hopefully that this, this morning the message that God's put on my heart, I hope that it will speak to you and, and, and hopefully be a blessing to you. Uh, do pray for me as we, uh, as we go through it this morning. If you would, I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And, uh, I'm going to give you a good bit of Scripture today. And there's a good reason for that because... Uh, it's the truth, and that's what we need to live by, amen? Uh, I don't think, I, I definitely know I couldn't help you very much if I just gave you my personal opinion. So we're going to go through God's word, and uh, today uh, we're going to talk about unconditional love, unconditional love. And I just want to ask a few questions by a show of hands just to kind of get a feel. How many married folks do we have in here today? Raise your hands. Married? Okay, good. A lot of folks. How many folks in here today plan on one day being married? Raise your hands. Everybody's like halfway up. Well, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> After this series, they all got questions. I don't know if I want to do that, right? Let me ask you this on a more serious note. Somewhere in your family, how many of you, by a show of hands, somewhere in your family, cousins, uncles, brother, sister, any, grandma, grandpa, you've been, you've been affected by divorce. There's been divorce in the family somewhere. Raise your hands high so I can see. Wow, look around. Wow. Okay. We're going to talk about unconditional love today, and uh, not going to spend a lot of time talking about divorce, but it's very important that we, that we get an understanding, because it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about. If you would, look in your Bibles, Genesis 2.24. Let's read that together. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh shall become one. Another word that's used there for joined or, or cling. Another word that's used there is the word cleave. Shall cleave to his wife. And that word uh, is the same word that's used to describe uh, military days back in the Old Testament days when a soldier would hold on to his sword. Now, back then, you didn't fight with guns and bows and arrows and all that kind of stuff and cannons. You fought with a sword. And that sword was life or death. If you didn't have that sword in your hand, you were a goner. So you can imagine a soldier is going to do what with a sword? He's going to hold on to it. He's going to cleave to it. He's going to cling to it. He's not going to let go. Well, a soldier could be in battle all day long, fighting and fighting and fighting, hours upon hours. And it's said that he would cling or cleave to the sword handle so tightly that at the end of a battle, they sometimes would have to break his fingers to get the sword out of his hand. It would be just absolutely locked in a grip. It's the same word that's used there. A man shall leave his mother and father and shall cling, shall be joined, shall cleave what? 
to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, that sword was a matter of life and death. You weren't going to get that sword out of his hand. You see, that's the picture of the marriage. You shouldn't be able to pull either of those spouses away from each other. You know, the Bible says that, that, that two cords are strong, but a threefold cord, what? It's not easily broken. Well, the third part of that cord is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has to be in the middle of the marriage. In a battle, whether it be a military battle or out on the football field, coach, it is imperative that you know your enemy. It's imperative that you know the adversary. If you don't know who your adversary is and where the attack may come from, it makes you vulnerable. A great example would be uh, in the coaching profession, uh, Coach uh, Tucker over here and I coaching football. Uh, it's seven days a week. It's uh, up Saturday morning trading film, five, six, seven hours on Saturday breaking down film, come to church Sunday, back to work at 1. I've gotten, I left the office on Sundays at 8 o'clock. I've left at 1 a.m. Monday morning. Uh, breaking down film, preparing a plan, learning about my opponent, and then during the week, film study with my athletes during the week, giving them films to take home, practicing uh, until 7 o'clock, then film study afterwards with them, get home 8 o'clock at night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, play a game, get home at midnight or 1 if you're playing at home, get home at 3 a.m. if you're on the road, back to work the next morning, trading film, breaking down film, seven days a week. A lot of time and a lot of energy spent, what? Learning the opponent. So that on Friday night, those athletes are absolutely prepared. They know their opponent. They know their adversary. So they have what? The best chance for success. Well, as Christians, it's very important, number one, that we know who the enemy is, who our adversary is, and that is Satan. If you will, look in John 10.10. Very important, you know who the enemy is. John 10.10. Let's see what Jesus said. He says, the thief, who is the thief? The devil, Satan, it says he does not come except to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have what? Life, and that they may have it more abundantly. So you need to know who the enemy is. The enemy, the thief, is Satan. He's on a mission, and it is to destroy your life. And more pointedly, it is to destroy marriages. See, Satan knows if he can destroy the home, he can destroy it all. You destroy the home, the society is lost. It's lost, amen? But here it's equally important to know this. Look in 1 John 4, 4. It's not only important to know your enemy. It's very important to know that he has been defeated. You see, I believe a lot of believers, a lot of Christians live a defeated life because their focus is too often on the enemy. They're too busy looking around every corner for where is, the, where is he going to steal? How is he going to kill? How is he going to... Their eyes are on the enemy and his attacks as opposed to standing firm in Christ knowing that he has already been defeated. 1 John 4.4, 4, it says this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? That ought to be a resounding Amen. He who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Know your enemy. It's Satan. Know his tactics. But our focus shouldn't be there. It should be the one who's already won freedom for us. Amen? It should be on the one who's already garnered the victory. So it's important to know your opponent. It's important to know he's been defeated. But you know, it's not only important to know who the enemy is. It's equally important to know who the enemy is not. And when we're talking about marriages, the enemy is not your spouse. The enemy's not your spouse. Look in Ephesians 6, 12. 
Your spouse is a gift from God. Look at what Ephesians 6, 12 says. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, our war is not with flesh and blood. It's with the enemy. But see, he gets into the lives, in our lives, he can get into the lives of the ones we love. He can use the people that we love to try to destroy our homes and to destroy our marriages. Now, last week, I thought Joey did a fantastic job. He talked about communication and the problems and why it was so important for last week, the first week, to talk about communication is because a lot of times that becomes the root. If there's a lack of communication, a husband and wife, they don't communicate about what's wrong or what's going on, and they begin to build up walls in the marriage. They don't share what's going on. They don't talk things out. And the problem begins with communication, and then that leads to worse things if they're not dealt with. And so what happens over months and years in a marriage, a lack of communication, those walls get built up, and then all of a sudden our eyes, our focus isn't on Christ. A lot of people don't realize who they are in Christ, and they begin to live, listen to the lies and the deceit of the enemy. And they bring things into the marriage that can cause a lot of problems. Now, if that goes on continuously, and there's that lack of communication and Uh, not working things out or working through problems, then all of a sudden you see the symptoms of that. See, no one ever just ends up in an affair. No one just ever ends up divorced. And no one just ever ends up uh, with a broken marriage. It happens over time because one or both have developed a hardened heart and one or both have forgotten that covenant they made with each other. One or both have gotten their eyes off of Jesus Christ and gotten their eyes on their circumstances or what's wrong in the marriage, what's wrong with my life, or they've gotten so deceived that they talk about what they deserve or what they don't deserve instead of keeping their eyes and their focus firmly on Christ and following his lead in a marriage. Now, with that being said, you know, oftentimes... What you think is your adversary, a partner in marriage over time, it could be someone that's hopelessly in bondage and sin. You know, Satan gets in and deceives. People come into marriages. You got one person who, uh, a spouse who maybe thinks they're not not as smart as the other one or they hadn't been as successful as the other one. Or you get a spouse that comes into a marriage insecure. Or like I said, one or both do not have their security in Christ. And see, Satan, he comes in in those areas and he begins to deceive them and lie to them and tell them, you don't look good enough or you don't match up or, you know, you don't measure up to that standard. Folks, the standard is Jesus Christ. Can I just go ahead and tell you something? Everybody in this room is dysfunctional and messed up. Everybody. Everyone. The standard is Jesus Christ. It's about knowing who you are in Christ. So many problems in marriage stem from the fact that we don't know who we are in Christ. We're so busy worrying about some standard we have to meet or do I measure up. It's not about that. Listen, be secure in Jesus Christ. Know that he loves you, that he died for you, that he saved you, and that, that he, is, he totally loves and cares for you. And it's unconditional. You don't have to meet some standard of approval for his love. He went to the cross. He showed his love for you once and for all. It's a done deal. So often broken marriages come from sin. Listen, even if it's the sin of a hardened heart. And regardless of who did what, both spouses come into the marriage with dysfunction. Both spouses come into the marriage with faults and failures. And they both, listen here, they both play a role in the breakdown of the relationship. There is absolutely no such thing as a broken relationship or a broken marriage where one person had gotten it all right and the other person got it all wrong. It does not happen. Both people 
play a role. Both partners bring generational issues into the marriage. I just asked you how many of you had divorce effect in, in your families. I think it was 100%. I couldn't see a hand that wasn't raised. There's things that come into our lives. How about communication problems? You might have come from a home where one parent was a yeller and one parent wouldn't say a word. And more than likely, because of the example that was lived out in the home, you're going to become one of those. You become a yeller or you become the one who never says a word, neither of which work. Amen? Amen. You come into the marriage with, with problems. There may have been stuff in your family, like we said, infidelity or, or deceit or, 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 uh, or uh, insecurities, all kind of things, control issues that, that you bring into the marriage. And those are things that God needs to clean up in each of us Make us more like him and bring us closer together as husband and wife. Some people have been in a relationship or maybe are in a relationship where a spouse has a hardened heart. What I want you to realize through the message today is this, that a spouse's hardened heart is your invitation to become involved in God's redemptive work to free him or her from spiritual bondage. It's not an invitation to walk out. Remember Cleve? Remember the covenant that we made God you see the answer to a broken marriage isn't divorce it's Jesus Christ four amens okay listen to that again the answer to a broken marriage is not divorce it's Jesus Christ amen it's Jesus Christ turn with me to Matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19 we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 I believe too often in our society we're way too quick to give up on marriages. And I'm talking to church folk. I'm talking to church folk. You realize the divorce rate in the United States hovers around 49 or 50 percent? Did you know that among evangelical Christians it's around 52 percent? It's a little bit worse than it is among the lost folks. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, in verse 5, he quotes Genesis 2.24, which we read earlier. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but what? One flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate? He said to them, Moses, because, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her is divorced, commits adultery. Now here's the issue, the bottom line issue, when Jesus started talking about divorce. He makes this point. Divorce comes from a hardened heart. It is the result of a hardened heart. Behind every broken marriage is a heart that was hardened against God first, then hardened against one's mate. From the very beginning, God's intention for marriage was that it be for life. 
realizing this, young folks that raised your hand about being married, you should be very careful in choosing a life mate. You see, we said the divorce rate was around 50%. Did you know that in second marriages, the divorce rate goes up to 65%? In third marriages, it goes up to 75%. You see, what happens is folks just take the same problems they had and a lack of trust in God and bring them into the next marriage if they're undealt with. And here's my word for you today. If you've gone through a divorce or, or you're remarried, here's my prayer for you. It's that you would allow God to heal you emotionally and spiritually and then allow him to change you in any way that he desires so that you don't ever go through that pain again. Amen? Let God do a healing. Let him get the bitterness and, 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 and the anger and the unforgiveness out of your heart because Satan will use those things to destroy you. Wendy and I had uh, been married, I guess, about 17 years, and uh, we were headed for a divorce. Uh, this was taking place over a summer, and uh, the divorce was to be final on August the 21st. That was a Friday. And through the course of that summer, June and July and August, um, the thing that kept going through my head, I always, uh, because being the self-centered, selfish person that I was, I wanted to focus on what she had done wrong. And, you know, people, believers, what was stunning to me was there were believers in my life that were around me, and they never talked about reconciliation or restoration. You know, they just wanted to say, hey, you're on good ground. Go ahead, go for it, you know, do your thing, whatever. And the thing is, God would never go there with me. You know, he never would go there. Every time that I was alone with God. And I will say this. You know, you never realize that Jesus Christ is all you need until he's all you got. Amen? And, and listen, it was, it was some of the best. It was the, the best me and God time. And the thing that God kept telling me, folks, was this. He kept saying, do you think that you had anything to do with this? Do you think you played a role in this at all? And it was almost like a movie reel. You know, God took me back to, to 17 years. And, and the things that he kept showing me was how Wendy had been such a giver and I had been such a taker. You know, he kept showing me how she was cooking meals and washing clothes and taking care of these two beautiful children we have. And here I was spending all my time trying to become the world's greatest football coach. And if I wasn't coaching football, I was hunting deer or fishing or going to cookouts with the guys. And you see, I was providing a paycheck and, you know, I loved my wife and my kids. And we were in church and had all that. And this looked like the perfect little, little family. I wasn't edifying her. I wasn't building her up. I wasn't encouraging her. I wasn't making her feel special. You know, that's where God took me. I wanted to focus on her. And see, God wanted to focus on me. He, he, he really made it evident of what a screw-up I was and how bad I had messed up. My flesh wanted to make it about what did she do. And so God just kept putting that in my heart. And I would run from it. I didn't want to stay there. But he always kept taking me back to what did you have to do with it? And then he kept telling me, do you think I can put this back together? Can I fix this? Do you trust me? Do you, do you really believe in, in covenant marriage? You made a covenant. You know, and I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. God just kept, you know, I'd listen to mu worship music and there was God, you know. And what was interesting is over about 18 months, I journaled every day, you know, in my quiet time. And initially my prayer was always about, you know, Make life great for me, and here's what she did wrong to me, and da, 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 da. It, was all, it was about her. And you know what was interesting was God, as he began to change my heart, as I began to uh, listen to his voice, he began to change my heart and help me to realize that I needed to be fixed. I had a whole lot more wrong with me than she had with her. And God began to speak into my heart, and it was like, man, why don't you start asking me to change you? 
Why don't you start asking me to fix you? Why don't you stop worrying about her or what you think wasn't fair or this, that, and the other. Let, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you right. And so my prayers began to change, and, and, and God really began to do a work. And like I said, it, it, was, it was painful. It was a tremendous amount of spiritual surgery that went on because I'm going to be honest with you. I had a lot of junk. There was just so much that I had done wrong and not done right. And so God began to work on me and changing, changing my heart. And as he did that, he began to soften my heart towards my wife and, and really open my eyes to, to things that I had not wanted to face for so long. Well, it was the week of August the 21st, and it was a Monday. And it was another one of those times. I was out running. I had my MP3 player. And I'm running, and, and the whole time God's just going, do you trust me? I can fix this. Do you want me to, you know, or do you trust me to put this back together? You know, are you going to let me do this? You know, and, and I'm running, and, and I'm out in the middle of the country running, and, and I got tears coming down my eyes, and people are driving by. I probably thought I was loony because here I'm, I'm running, you know. I look like Rocky, and I'm running out, <laughs> tears coming down and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was just like, I do trust you, Lord. I do. I trust you, and not only that, but I love my wife with all my heart, and I love my children. And I know that you can, can do this. You're doing a work in my heart, and you're changing me, and I know you can. But I still wasn't, I was still hanging on for some reason. I still hadn't come all the way. Well, anyway, I get home, and there's a book in my mailbox. And uh, it was a book called I Do Again. And Reader's Digest version, it was about a, a marriage that had been ended in divorce, but how they came back together and all this kind of stuff. Well, I didn't want anything to do with that. I was still kind of, I was trying to be Mr. Macho Man, you know, holding my ground. And I wasn't going to read the book. And so the next day comes, and I went home, and the book's still laying on the table. And I just felt like God had pressed upon my heart, read the book. I said, yes, sir. And so I got the book and spent the whole night, read it through the night, read it from front to back. And again, it was more of God speaking to my heart about the changes that I need to make and what he wanted to do in my life. And so uh, the next day or two goes by, and Wendy and I talked a couple of times. Well, Friday is, is the divorce day. They're supposed to sign the papers. Well, Thursday night, long story short, she had called and wanted to come talk. And so she came over to the house and and we're standing outside. It's probably 11 o'clock at night. Well, the next thing you know, it's 3 or 4 in the morning. We're still standing outside. And long story short, God just, uh, just melted both of our hearts. And God said, hey, this marriage needs to be put back together. That's my desire for your lives and for this family. And we both made a commitment that night that we had a covenant marriage. And regardless of, of our failures, regardless of how much I had wounded and hurt her all those years and, and vice versa, that we were going to put this marriage back together. So we go in the house, and we're talking some more. And the next thing you know, my alarm clock goes off to get up for work. And the kids, they get up. Well, they get out, come out of their bedrooms, and their mom's in the living room. And so they start crying, and they're all jumping. We're like, we're putting this thing back together. We're, we're, we're back together. We're a family. We're going to do this God's way. So they're jumping up and down. They're excited. And, well, they have to go to school, so we get them ready. They go to school, and it's 8 o'clock, and we look at our watch, and, and, and Wendy goes, well, don't we need to call a lawyer or a judge because aren't they supposed to sign some papers? And I was like, yeah, we do. So I called my lawyer, and I said, this thing's off. We're not doing this. You know, this marriage is together. We're not, we're not going through with it. And so they called. The lawyer called the judge and called me back and said, when I called, the judge had the papers on her desk, pen in hand, about to sign them. And uh, so they put them in the shredder shredded them up and, and God put the marriage back together and it's been amazing ever since I want to tell you this this morning as we talk about unconditional love and if you're taking notes there's some things I would like for you to make note of here's the first thing the most important ingredient in a marriage is Jesus Christ 
the most important ingredient in the marriage is Jesus Christ. The most important attribute that he brings into marriage is unconditional love. The most important ingredient is Jesus Christ. The most important attribute that he brings into marriage is unconditional love. What is unconditional love? We've heard it referred to as agape love, God love. And it's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, human love says, I will love you if. We put that if on there. That makes it what? Conditional. I'll love you if you meet this standard. If you look this way, act this way, talk this way. If you do things good enough, that's human love. That's not God love. God love, agape love says, I love you regardless. No conditions. I love you regardless. Look at Ephesians 5.25. It's a scripture that many of you probably know by heart. Especially you husbands. I'm sure you wives have quoted this to your husbands over and over. (laughs) Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, how did he love the church? Here's the first thing to unconditional love. Unconditional love is not a choice. It's not a feeling. It is a choice. Unconditional love is not a feeling. It is a choice. How did he love the church? He loved her unconditionally. Look at Luke 22, verse 42. Love is not a feeling. It is a choice. Luke 22, 42. This is Jesus praying in the garden. He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus in his humanity and in his deity is faced at this point in the garden with something he had never had to face before. See, he was blameless, spotless. He had never had anything to do with sin ever. And so here he is under the edict of his father God. He's going to the cross. A penalty has to be paid for the sin of all mankind. And so Jesus comes face to face in the garden with the reality. Not only that he's about to die. See, Jesus was a man's man. Amen? He wasn't afraid of death. What he knew was that he was going to have the sin of the world, something he had never had contact with, something that it was just absolutely uh, unable to have contact with sin. He was going to have all the sin of the world placed on him and be shunned by his own father. Your sin and mine was going on his back, and the father would turn his his eyes away from the sun. And Jesus knew it. Jesus' feeling was, if you could take this cup away from me, his choice was, nevertheless, your will be done. Aren't you thankful that Jesus went with a choice and not with feeling? Amen? His choice was that I love you individually so much. I don't want the sin on me and I don't want to be separated from my father. But I'm willing to give it all, everything I have. I'm willing to go that far because I love you. Unconditional. Unconditional. He made that choice. You know, most people come to that point in their marriage, a point in their marriage where they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice either based on feeling or make a choice based on covenant. Amen? And they come to this place in their marriage and they say things like this, I can't do it. Or this is too hard. This is costing me too much. They don't deserve it. I deserve better. Those are lies from the enemy. Amen? Lies from the enemy. You know why? Listen, Jesus didn't get what he deserved, did he? 
He didn't get what he deserved, but he chose a path that absolutely he did not deserve. Why? Because he loved the Father and he loved you too much to turn back. He loved the Father and he loved you too much to turn back. If you would, turn to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. You see, marriage causes you to do something. It's almost a picture of what Jesus had to do for us. You know what that is? Marriage is, marriage causes you to die. It is. Because the Bible says the two become what? One flesh. It's no longer about you and her. It's about us. It's about we. So for the two to become one, the individuals have to what? They have to die. Look what Galatians 2.20 says. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But what? But the life, but Christ lives in me, the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. See, marriage is about dying so that two can become one. He loved you and I so much he refused to turn back. He made a choice, and the choice was you, and the choice was me. In marriage, you're going to have to face that choice often. Choose to love your spouse unconditionally. Choose to love them regardless. Secondly, unconditional love always involves sacrifice. Unconditional love always involves sacrifice. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 5, verse 2. It says this. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Well, how did he love us? It says, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He loved you so much, he gave himself completely. He didn't hold anything back. He took all your sin, gave you his righteousness. What a trade-off, amen? He went to the cross and died, gave you everything. He sacrificed himself so that you could receive his righteousness and appear blameless and spotless before God as if you had never done anything wrong. His unconditional love involved sacrifice. Galatians 1.4 says this, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Why? Here's what Jesus said. I want to I paraphrase those two scriptures. I want to tell you what that means. Here's what it means, and I, and I hope this resonates with you. I hope it really hits home. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this, I'll give it all. I'll give everything that I have to be close to you. That gets a wow, doesn't it? He said, I'll give everything, everything. I'll die. I will sacrifice myself so that I can be close to you and you and you and you and you. So I can be close to you. I'll give it all. He says, I'll die and take your sin, your junk, your filth, your mess, so that we can be together forever. He says, I I want me and you to be like this. He said, so I'll die so that we can have it. You know what's awesome about that too is? He came all the way. Hey, he didn't say meet me halfway. He didn't say let's make a compromise if you'll do such and such. If you'll clean this up about your life, if you'll make these changes, then uh uh-uh. He came all the way. You know what he said? He said, all you got to do is say yes, and it's me and you forever. All you got to do is say yes, and it's me and you forever. That is unconditional love. Not meet me halfway, not make a compromise. I will come all the way. And guess what he'll do when he gets there? He'll clean you up. He'll make you what you need to be. 
His love will transform you and make you what you need to be. Unconditional love involves sacrifice. Here's my question. Is that the picture of you in your marriage? Are you willing to go all the way? Or does your spouse have to meet you halfway? Does there have to be compromise involved for it to work? Are you willing to go all the way? Here's the third thing. Unconditional love places the care and the concerns of my spouse above my own. Unconditional love places the care and concerns of my spouse above my own. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Matthew 20, 28. Jesus said this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the Bible says Jesus came as the least of them. He didn't come to be served. He didn't come here to see what he could get all of us to do for him. He came here for one purpose, to give every bit of himself for us. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. You see, Jesus, out of his passion for you and me, as a one-time payment, as a ransom, as a commitment, he gave himself, and it resulted in a complete rescue for you and me forever. The ultimate rescue that's ever been performed, Jesus dying on the cross, rescued you and me from the pit of hell. Amen? His passion, his love for you and I. It was never about him. It was always about you. If he was here, right here, which he is here, but if he was here in person looking at him, he would say, hey, listen to me, folks. It's never been about me. It's always been about you and how much he loves you. Here's the question. In your marriage relationship, is it about you? Or is it about your spouse? Philippians 2.8 says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, the Christ life perspective in marriage is to love your spouse so much that your goal in life is to make their life as great as it possibly can be. Imagine having a Christ-like eternal perspective on marriage. Husbands, young men, that you're going to love your wife so much that your desire is to make her life the very best it can be. Get an eternal perspective and realize this. What? Life is short. Amen? The Bible says life is like a vapor. It's short. So what little bit of time you have here, you love your wife and make life as great as it can possibly be. Wives, young ladies, love your husband so much with unconditional love that your desire is to make his life the very, very best it could possibly be. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says this. Casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, the word care there comes from the Greek word marimna. It means to divide the mind. Here's the picture I want you to get from that. It says we are to cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for us. You see, Christ wants to infuse us with his unconditional love. He wants our relationship with him to be so that we, in turn, show that same kind of unconditional love to our spouse. You say, what do you mean, coach? Here's what I mean. Your spouse should know that you care for them so much to the point that it removes all distractions, anxieties, burdens, and worries from their life. You see, it's the same security I should derive from Christ. See, I shouldn't worry about it. The Bible says don't worry about tomorrow. Today has plenty for, it, for, for us, doesn't it? Give me, Lord, my daily bread, right? If I really trust him, what am I worried about? If I really trust him, what am I anxious about? 
If I really trust him, what standard am I worried about meeting? His love is unconditional. Remember, folks, he came all the way. He's not asking me to be something. He's just saying, love him with all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my soul. He loves me unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. And so he says, listen, if you will love your spouse like that, if you will care for her, if you'll care for him with that kind of God love, you'll remove all distractions, anxieties, burdens, and worries. Imagine how freed up a man or a woman could become if that kind of love is evident in the marriage. How much could they love each other, love their children? How much could they impact their community and the world if they were freed up from all the cares and burdens of the world? Here's the question I want to ask you. Is your spouse secure in your unconditional love or is there an expectation that they have to meet? Do they feel like there's an expectation they always have to meet? And it can be whatever you want it to be. If there is, the enemy will use that to create insecurity because his lie will always be that they don't measure up. You're not a good enough wife. You don't clean house good enough. You don't cook good enough. You don't make enough money. You're not as educated. You're not as smart. You're not as pretty. The husband, you're not adequate. You're not the man. You're not this. You're not that. Satan will use that to create insecurity that God never intended for there to be in marriage. He intends for the man and the woman to be completely founded in Jesus Christ. All your security, your self-worth, who you are, should be determined in your relationship with Christ, not by anything the world says. Amen? It's not, what the, it's not the cover of the magazines. It's not what the world says. It's not what Oprah says or whoever says. That's not it. Sorry for you, Oprah lovers. Okay? It's what God's Word says you are. You know what His Word says you are? It says you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. It says you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That's how He sees you. See yourself as Christ sees you. That's your standard. And then live freely in that security that comes through Jesus Christ. Don't let the world tell you who you are. Listen to what your Father in heaven says you are. Fourthly, unconditional love is a God design for marriage. Unconditional love is a God design for marriage. It is to illustrate to the world the relationship that he intends to have with his people. Jesus Christ was and is the perfect example of God's love and the love that he requires. It is the love of Christ in you and in me that sets us apart from the world. The Bible says that they will know you by your love. They'll know you by your love. They're not talking about the human love that says, I'll love you if. He's saying they will know you by the God love, the agape love that is imparted into a man and a woman through the power of the Holy Spirit. It'll be a kind of love that people will see is not normal. And it doesn't look like any other kind of love that they've seen. The Lord gave me this scripture. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is good. Remember, marriage is a God design. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. It says this, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Here's what it means. It means this, folks. If you and I have the unconditional love of God through the power of his Holy Spirit in our marriage, we are loving each other unconditionally. It is a picture to the lost. The lost world is going to see that, and they're going to say there's something different there. There's something going on in that relationship that just doesn't add up. 
Maybe there were issues beforehand. Maybe there was a pending divorce or whatever the case may be. But God showed up in his unconditional love and healed it and put it back together or kept it strong, whatever the case may be. Lost people see that and say, that's not normal. How did they stay together? Or I, 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 No one else would have stayed in that. What's going on? There's something different. Let me tell you what that does. It brings them face to face with their pending judgment. They come face to face with the gospel. They realize that there's, there's a God thing going on. There's something happening in that relationship that is not natural, which leads them to realize that there's some higher power. There is something that's making the difference in that relationship, and the difference is Jesus Christ. And when they see that, they come face to face with their pending judgment, which means they do this. They either accept the gospel, which is being played out in that marriage, or they reject it. But that is the picture of the gospel, isn't it? It's a resurrection of a marriage. It's the resurrection and the restoration of two dysfunctional people that are somehow brought together and made whole through Jesus Christ. Remember, two dysfunctional people, not one, but both, who are brought together through the power of the love of Jesus Christ. But it's also evidence to believers. Believers look at that relationship and they go, that's my Jesus making the difference. And it is confirmation of the eternal life that waits for them. It's a God thing. And you can't explain it any other way. All they say is, hey, it's a God thing. That's my father doing that work. It's my father that's doing this. And it's so real, you can touch it and taste it and feel it. You know it's a God thing. And it's confirmation. Death leading to death for those that are lost. Life leading to life for those who are saved. Amen? It is a picture of the gospel. Here's the fifth thing, the fifth point I want to make about unconditional love. And I'll close our attitude towards our spouse is governed by our attitude towards God. Our attitude towards our spouse is governed by our attitude towards God. You won't find two believers loving each other unconditionally and just loving each other in Christ who haven't been in the Word and haven't been praying. I'm sorry, it won't happen. Your fellowship with the Father, because remember, it's through the power of His Holy Spirit that this is made possible. It's Him changing you and transforming you and filling you with His Spirit and filling you with His love that allows you on a daily basis to put your needs and desires aside and put hers or His ahead of yours. By nature, you will not do that. You still live in that flesh, and you will till the day you die. You still live in that flesh. The Bible says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, pleasing, acceptable, perfect will of God? Amen? Transform. It's a daily process. His word, fellowship with the Father, it changes you. It helps to keep you in check. It helps you to put yourself and your selfish needs and desires aside and put the needs and concerns of others ahead of yourself. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Your flesh wants to be served. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to say, no flesh, uh-uh. It's not about you. You see, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Remember we said earlier, it's about dying. You got to die daily, amen? Because guess what that old flesh will try to do? It'll try to rise back up. You got to stay close to the Father. Prayer and, and staying in the Word. You see, a husband may fall short of a wife's expectations and of God's ideal for a husband. Nevertheless, she seeks in every way to be a good wife, modeling her behavior in Christ who obeyed and trusted the Father even when his own people rejected him. Husband, being Christ-like, is loving and unconditionally loving her even if she may not be exactly what you 
thought she was going to be, even though she may not be fulfilling all of her roles and responsibilities. Remember, it's not about her. It's about what you need to be in Jesus Christ. It's him changing you and making you the man you need to be. You continue to love her, and you continue to be what you need to be for her. Christ was rejected by his own. He still went to the cross. Listen, we reject him in our daily lives, don't we? How many times a day have we been disobedient? How many times have we known the will of the Father and we do our own thing? Huh? Disobedient. And he still loves us nonetheless. A wife may disappoint her husband, disregard his authority, or withhold her respect. Nevertheless, a husband honors his wife, cares for her, prays for her, models his behavior on the Father who knows our frame. In closing, I want to say this. Without consistent fellowship with God through prayer and meditation on his word, our attitude towards God will wane and we become dirtied by the world and less influenced by his love. In turn, our attitude towards our spouse becomes more fleshly and more worldly. You see, it's, it's, it's like the old story. I tell this to my football players all the time. It's, it's the two dogs fighting. You know, you got the spirit, spirit man, you got the flesh man. And I tell my, my, my football players, I said, you know, who's going to win is the one you feed. You feed one dog, starve the other one. Eventually that one dog gets strong, the other one gets weak. The stronger dog's going to win. It's like that in our Christian walk every day. The one that you feed is going to win. You pump the world in, you're going to become more like what? More like the world. Your thought process. And then, listen, Satan will get in there, and like I said, he'll deceive you. He'll, he'll wreak havoc. I want, to, I want to share this with you in closing. Like we were talking about in, in Matthew chapter 19. I want to talk to you in closing about that hard and heart and how the enemy works. We talked about knowing your enemy. Listen to this. From the very beginning, God's intention for marriage was that it be for life. Realizing this, believers should exercise care, as I said earlier, in choosing a life mate. Yet no marriage will be so free of differences and difficulties that it could not end up in divorce if... Husband and wife were deceived into following their natural inclinations. The devil will exaggerate your mate's failures and inadequacies. Listen, it starts off there. The honeymoon period's great, and then, you know, she leaves the lid off the toothpaste, and he leaves the toilet seat up all the time, right? And then it just, and then it just becomes one thing after another. And you know what the enemy does? He'll get in there, and he'll exaggerate those failures and inadequacies. He will try to destroy that marriage, and he'll get in there and deceive you. He'll help you to indulge your self-pity. He'll insist that you deserve something better. And he'll hold out the hollow promise that things would be better with someone else. I'm here to tell you those are lies from the, from the devil, from the pit of hell. They're not true. But hear Jesus' words and remember this, that God can change hearts and he can remove all hardness if we will allow him. He can remove hardness of the heart. He can remove bitterness, unforgiveness. He can clean all of it out if we let him. Unconditional love. If you would stand with me, please.